On this week's episode, Ryan Eckel and Lee Griffin get into yet another fist fight on air. Through the turn as well. That's hard on the struts. So slow down for that. You know, slow down. Hard on the struts. Explain that to me. As you're turning, that can be, you know, that like pressure on the struts. You, you don't, do you you don't want that. What, what pressure on the struts? What are you talking about? Like Scott Boris gives some impeccable advice. Scott? Uh, yeah, who cares? I mean, honestly, I just tell your instructor or the examiner that you're not going to need to know that. So I think that that would pretty much sum that up. I feel like that would be good enough. And I'm freaked out. I'm freaked out about running airplanes. That's just, yeah. Uh, Welcome to this week's episode. Today we are covering the rest of the information that Mr. Griffin thought we skipped over back when I was trying to cram this all in in one episode for an hour and a half and turns out we're doing it for the rest of the season uh, to explain it in depth. But we're here for the long haul part three. We got uh, Lake Erie Island flight legend Ryan Eckel back with us today. And uh, we're just going to go right off of my list here from when I edited episode one. Uh, this is this part uh, FAR 61.107, part B. And then I'm basically, if you look at that part B and then you go into the private pilot ACS, uh, into the table of contents, you will see uh, this kind of broken down further. This is how we're getting more detailed. So if you hear us bringing up stuff that's not in the FAR itself, the FAR is kind of built directly off of this ACS so the first one, light gun signals. How does this pertain? I would argue this is rarely going to come up in a check ride. Um, yeah. And it rarely comes up in real life. But uh, as far as like a student going for a check ride, what, uh, what are you looking at, Scott? Uh, yeah, who cares? I mean, honestly, I just tell your instructor or the examiner that you're not going to need to know that. So I think that that would pretty much sum that up. I feel like that would be good enough to say like... It's kind of why, why I skipped over it. Right. I would just say, honestly, I'm never going to use this. And if I'm flying in a situation where I need to know light gun signals, then I guess I'm screwed. So, I mean, no I'm one plans anyway. to have to use them. Nobody goes flying like, hey, I'm going to get light gun signals today. <laughs> you, yeah. know? you can uh, request them to well, see if right. the lights yeah. are working. <laughs> well, if you know you're going to go fly a J3 Cub into a Class Delta, you should be prepared, mm-hmm. you know, without a radio. And I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm just saying other yeah, than you that, should. you probably know them in that case. You uh, can request them, Eckel? Yeah. Yeah, you can ask the uh, you can ask the tower, you know, just like you tested the lights in a while. Uh, you can, you know, put it on request to see if it works. They'd have to be so pissed. <laughs> yeah. Well, they that. have to do them for certification. They have to be certified to use them every so often anyway. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, to make sure everything's working. Um, yeah, they, you might annoy them, and they could also deny you possibly. I mean, if you have radio contact with them, but I would think most of them, it's hanging right there in the tower. It's not like they have to, like, dig it out of a box or anything, I don't think. so. What is it? Just like a, like a big... Uh, it's like a giant spotlight. Light. I mean, that's yeah. essentially what it is, a light Yeah, gun, a coon a spotter. Sp- it's like a big coon spotter. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's pretty sweet. Now, I mean, I used to know them. I'd f- forgotten what all they are by now. But See, like Scott, to us, we think about it like, oh, you know, that's an antiquated thing. But to them, that's just part of their, like, every day. They need well, to stay up yeah. on it. Yeah. Right. 
to us, it's like the manual E6B. To them, it's, right. you know, just a like anything else, any other tool, you know, in their day in, day out job. Right. Yeah. And we have an entire episode on light gun signals if you inquire more information about that. Uh, runway, what is this? Runway lighting systems? Did we? I feel like we might have hammered that out, but a, s- a summary. Right. So I, I like, mean, you want to do it? Anybody else? Private would have to know because it's basically how many times you click it. We went over this in uh, episode one because you guys were making jokes about. Yeah, but nobody you know knows right. how many times to click. Yeah. Should you know what uh, color the lights <laughs> are supposed to be? Where the, you know what color the runway is? What color the end markers are? What color the taxiways are? All that stuff. You should probably know all that. Yeah, I would assume that's that good. And definitely yeah. how to turn them on if if it is pilot yeah. control lighting. How to yeah. um, identify that on a sectional as well. That's a good good question on your uh, your check ride. You know, they're gonna say, "What's this little uh, star by the L here on your uh, sectional in the airport information?" You know, that's gonna tell you whether it's pilot controlled or not. That was an excellent save, Mister Boris. Thanks for coming through yeah. on that yeah. explanation. That's, every time, that's what I'm here for. Save save the day. You do have a way of summarizing things. <laughs> uh, this is a, a biggie that we very much glossed over. I remember from the edit. Uh, traffic patterns. Uh, I basically sum that up with, if you don't understand a traffic pattern by the time you're taking your private pilot check ride, you're a moron. And Lee was quite upset on his audio track when I said that, so... You well, some, as we just discussed, that? as we just discussed in the last, you know, the last portion we recorded, I mean, there's a billion ways to skin a cat, right? And so, unless you go dig into the aim, you're you're going to get you ask several different instructors, they may give you several different answers. You know, we talked about the difference between you know, entering 45 downwind, entering downwind you know, on downwind, turning downwind, all the different things people just inject, you know, their own, how they learned, how they were taught, and you're going to hold on to those things. Um, and then as an instructor, you know, it's kind of, you should be teaching them the right thing via the aim, not your personal preference, because that student's going to, they're going to stick with that. They're going to carry that throughout their whole flying career, wherever they go with it. And it'd be better to, you know, not teach them bad habits, of course. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, instructors are not going to change either because they are going to just regurgitate what they learn too. So sometimes that falls on the student's shoulders to dig in that aim themselves. Not that, you know, like a private pilot is really necessarily going to do that. I know I didn't. I avoided this book like the plague back then. Um, But, you know, now as you go on, you live by it more and more, the more certificates and ratings you get. So uh, just knowing, thinking, and taking for granted that somebody should know the pattern or the radio calls or whatever by a certain point, yeah, right, from a safety perspective, yeah, they should. But could they know it or understand it better to help, you know, the greater piloting population out there? Just like we talked about last time with the radio calls. Yeah, you know, there may be one way to do it that's better than others, and maybe there's some ways that you shouldn't do it at all. But that we've kind of um, a fallback, you know, if other people don't do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, that kind of creates this cascading degradation in the whole system, I think. And so if somebody's not doing their thing, that makes it a lot harder for me to do my thing and then makes me 
potentially forces me into having to do something a little non-standard that I don't really want to do, like a any traffic in the area, please advise. Like, do I want to do that per se? No. But when other airplanes don't make a radio call or don't make it at the appropriate time or they don't fly the appropriate altitude, they're not where I expect them to be, they don't fly a standard pattern, all of those things make – if I could count on people to do the right things, I would have I would maybe not have to make a non-standard radio call to try and fill in my knowledge gap of where people are spatially versus where I am. So I just wouldn't want to take it for granted that people understand the pattern maybe the way it should be flown. Maybe the way they were taught, I get that. And every airplane is different. Every instructor is different. Every like, you know, their home airport may have special stuff going on. But I think diving into the aim, knowing what it's supposed to be uh, and and adhering to that as best you can within the limitations of the particular airport you're operating out of or the particular aircraft you're flying, I think helps everybody out. And I wouldn't want to take it for granted that they know, like they actually know what the aim says. By the time they're taking their check ride, that's my thought. It's a good thought. You brought okay, up something I, I know Scott missed. Scott was absent last uh, week. Scott, when you uh, have you ever, when you're making a radio call in the pattern, uh, say any traffic, please advise. No, no, no. Okay, I'm just curious. No, I feel like they should just tell me if there's an issue. Like, you know. Yeah. It's on them. At that point, I did my call out. So they should probably do theirs too. So, okay. So hold on. Let me just val- verify what you're trying to say. So you make like, let's say, hey, I'm, you're going to, um, I don't know, somewhere you've never been because okay. to make it r- somewhat realistic for you. It's not Hind. It's not Kelly's. Yeah. Nor so you're going to, what's that? Nor yeah, no, it's none of those. Yeah, it's none of those. Let's say those you're going are, those to those are really the only three airports I go to. But <laughs> oh yeah, so let's yeah let's go somewhere else. Finley. Let's go to Finley or Wood yeah, County. I've been or there. Something. It's a little far, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, stretch. Just somewhere. Bu- well, Finley's not even that busy. Wood County. So you're five to the yeah. east. You make yeah. that call. So you're saying you know Wood County traffic, Cessna so and so, five to the east inbound. Like let's say let's make it one zero. Just you're doing a little bit more of the pattern or something. Um. You expect when you make that call, you expect other aircraft in the pattern to somewhat respond to that call. Uh, no, but I. Well, I'm just them trying to. Like, to I'm just trying to. Yeah. Like make their regular calls. Yeah, as long as they're making okay. their regular calls, I don't really need them to advise. Okay, so I what guess. if you were just on? So let me paint another scenario for you. This forever. And I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. It's just I don't bother to do it because I figure. Well, Ryan raised a good point. In the aim, I just got on a soapbox and said aim, 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 and then in the aim it says don't ever say this. It like explicitly states on don't say it under any circumstances. I mean, I think that's almost verbatim what it says. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's it in the say- aim. It, there's an yeah, there's an advisory circular about it as well. That I, I don't uh, give a. F- about the advisory circular. <laughs> because what I'm saying is there's no more concise a way to ask that question. So let me let me change let me change this up on you, Scott. Let's say you you're going to Wood County and you're like you're basically like at the traffic pattern. Like you're like about to be in it. It's a nice day. You presume that it's gonna be busy. Or there's a flying going on. I don't know. Paint a busy picture so you know there's other airplanes. And 
you put in, when you turned in, you forgot to change the frequency. So you're on 22.9, you're going over there and you're like, oh shit, 22.8 is their frequency. So you turn it on and then you remake, you made your radio calls as if you're on the right frequency. You realize you're on the wrong one. You remake it and then there's, you know, it's busy. I mean, would that change your stance? Because that's kind of the well, I suppose, scenario given the I was trying to. Given the, that scenario where you had the wrong frequency in and you went and you're going into a pattern with no idea where anybody's at, but assuming that you use the right frequency the entire time, I probably don't need to bother to ask the other traffic to advise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. You've been listening for a little while. You're sp- able to spatially orient right. where people are, what leg they're on, about yeah. where they're going to be by the time you get there. Yeah. And you can kind of filter right in to the flow. The scenario that I'm always concerned of is I'm talking to ATC. Then they say frequency change approved. You know, it's visual conditions at this uncontrolled field. And you switch over to the advisory frequency. The other guy's been listening to it. But now you're now listening to it and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get in the flow in the least intrusive for everybody manner. And that can that is, I don't want to say cause anxiety, but I'm just saying that is that you can be a little anxious when you're waiting for that moment. You know it's busy. You hear people are like, ah, I can't tell if they're at this airport or this other airport. Everybody's talking on top of each other. It's a nice day. You know, the TCAST is all lit up. Looks like there's a billion airplanes around. And you know, just that's the scenario that I'm trying to paint. And so I I, I don't want to say that I'm arguing. I'm just advocating a little bit. It's not my favorite thing. It's not my go-to. But when I say, I and I've said it, I don't know. I can probably count how many times I've said it. I've probably said it three or four times. And I can't think of a easier way to get to ask that question to figure out the the layout, the lay of the land that I'm entering but the aim says don't say it at all. And Ryan and Ryan brought that up. I didn't know there was an advisory circular in addition to it saying it in the aim. That's yeah, where I originally saw it was an advisory circular or some type of bulletin. Yeah, it, there's an AC for it. Um, and then it's also in the aim. It's basically, it's worded the same way. Um, kind of telling you don't really use the... Uh, the pilots are reminded that the use of the phrase any traffic in the area, please advise, is not a recognized self-announced position and or intention phrase, and there should uh, not be used an, under any condition. So, I mean, they're pretty. Yeah, there's no gray area forward. there. Yeah. yeah, I think a, a good thing. I mean, let, like Lee said, a, you know, a good scenario is, you know, us getting handed off from ATC coming in. So we're screaming in a jet coming down to altitude, coming in fast. And I think it's important for us to make our call right away and say, you know, Hawker one, two, three, or Lear one, two, three, 10 miles to the Southeast inbound for runway, you know, two, eight. Um, and then hope that everybody kind of catches that. And it's like, you know, and typically when I'm flying, you know, slower piston and I hear a jet coming into an uncontrolled field, I'll make it a, a, you know, a call right away after I hear them to let them know exactly where I'm at. That's and because you see both the exactly. spectrum. Yeah. And then that's, that's because I'm fortunate enough to get to fly both, um, aircraft on a regular basis. But yeah, some people not, might not have that in the back of their head to just be like, Oh, you know, I'm about a midfield downwind right now for runway two seven. See like if I'm communicating with one another, if I'm like entering near the pattern, and like a, a jet calls in inbound, I just abort, you know, <laughs> just abort. 
<laughs> you know, just sometimes get, I will do just, something similar or do a, a 360, but I'll let them know too. Like, hey, you got it. Get the heck like, out of there. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> like, straight in. Like, the last thing I want to do is like misjudge the distance that this jet is away. So I'm not used to flying jets, so I don't know how long it's going to take them to get there. They could be, they could be there real quick. And the last thing I want to do is like piss this jet guy off because my stupid 150 slow ass is like <laughs> turning final as he's like, you know, getting close on a straight in approach. It's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to piss anybody off. So I just abort, get out of there. And I yeah. mean, pistons and jets don't mix. Just keep them, <laughs> keep them separated. Yeah. It's it a world where we can all get along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there's guys like, like I said, in the, in the handful, small handful of times I've used the phrase, it's because I was nervous. Like, mm-hmm. I know this is a busy airport. I know I see my TCAS. I can range it all the way in and it still doesn't even matter. I still see the same number of targets ranged all the way down. And it's like right. people above me, below me, all this stuff. And I haven't had the luxury of listening the whole time like the FO did. And so, like, we're just, you know, borderline freaking out. There's guys, you know, it's this common traffic advisory is shared by 10 airports around. I just, like, I hate it. So, I will, I'm not, obviously, I'm not violating anything per se. And the bottom line is I think everybody knows what I'm asking for, I'd like to think. And there's probably some people that are, you know, hardcore instructors that are like, that's in the aim. He's not supposed to say that. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to make my normal calls. And if they do that, that works. If they make the ra- the normal calls, I'll make – well, I mean, if I was talking on the radio, I'd make our normal calls. You make your normal calls, and it should all work. As long as I'm not coming in at 250 knots, we should all be good. You know, and the faster you come in, you know, you if you want to, like, try and make up time, you're coming at 250 knots, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're right. you're making – you're shifting everything towards needing to, needing to find out where people are for, for you to have your space. But – Come in at a reasonable airspeed. We can come in at 160 knots all day long. Do that. That's what a damn bonanza or a baron does. So why right. can't we do it? So, you know, that, that I mean, those are all tools we have in our toolbox to make it work. But I have been in scenarios where I need to figure out what's going on now or we need to do S-turns. We need to do a, a 360 here or we need to do something, you know. And obviously, you don't want to do any of those with passengers on board. You know, a lot of them are not stupid. They they saw, hey, I just saw that house on the ground a second ago. So it's like, okay. Well, I've had to do that. Actually, I've had to do three. Uh-oh. Lee. Uh-oh. All right, Mr. <laughs> Griffin, you left off. Um, That's sucky cir- at descent planning. Circling to it. land into Dayton. You could just kind of restart that story. I'll I'll cut I'll cut oh, in a good, good point. No, I would say cut in a better place. It was a dumb story. It had nothing to do with anything really. Um, it was a traffic to, spacing. Sorry. We all wanted to hear it though. Yeah, we all wanted like, to hear oh. it. Yeah, no, I think like, it's good to know. The three of us were sitting. Around, like, <laughs> we're all yeah. interested. We don't <laughs> we care about the listeners. The <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. you know just did some terrible descent planning a multitude of times, and it happened to be two times into Dayton. They would just you know cut you loose and like you know whatever start your descent and you got to figure out there's no cross this at this or anything so they gave you no right. guidance and and those are awesome when you plan for it but if you don't plan right. for it, you stay high and fast and then you're like they clear you down to three thousand you're like oh shit i guess i need to start coming down and so you just do that 
And and a lot of time, you know, not that I wasn't descent planning, but you just get the math wrong or the winds change as you descend, whatever the case may be. But I had to do a couple 360s on final, you know, in a regional airline aircraft and yeah. with a bunch of passengers on board. No big deal. Nobody says anything. You keep the door shut after you know after you land, you keep the, <laughs> the flight deck door shut. Nobody says anything to you. But on a small corporate airplane, you do go around, you do any of those things. I mean they they know what happened. They you know you do a you do another lap around or you know you turn yeah. you know uh you turn right like a 90 degrees and then you turn 180 degrees back to the left they kind of pick up on those things some some people like that you wouldn't think like that are completely oblivious they ask questions about stuff like that and then some people that you would think care say nothing so it's just one of those things but um making space because you planned you entered the pattern too fast and you're unsure of where the it's great what does my thing yeah. say? Bad network. Mother. What is it? Very good network. <laughs> Do you have a bunch of devices going on right now? That's I don't like know. I got a house full. I got a house full of <laughs> Sonos, Simply Safe, sound machines for kids, this damn thing oh, yeah. going. I mean, yeah, it says it's very bad. Well, <laughs> so does mine, though. <laughs> yeah, I you, yeah, I thought you had the, the ripping internet. Now. Oh, well, I did. No, I got rid of that because it was working worse than the original. Can't you see? I mean, oh. can you see how much better the resolution is on this one now? I think it's actually no. yours looks bad, Rob, with your awesome. But maybe that's my connection. Mine's the only one that looks good to me yeah, I right think... now. But it's huh. Same. But really? Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like we all just kind of don't have <laughs> great mine, yeah, to me, Mine's great. the only one that's clear right now. The rest of you all are blurry. Same. Yeah. 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 Me too. Interesting. Wonderful. Um, blah, blah, blah. that was a good story. I don't know how to cut back into that. So yeah, who we got the cares? Gist. I just <laughs> we got the gist. Um, we will move on. Yeah. Was that was that it for? Uh, no, I had the question before we move on from traffic patterns. Uh, based on the conversation that wasn't cut off, when how far out distance and time wise are you guys able to start monitoring the uh, the local traffic? Oh, I mean, you can start monitoring it as far out as you really want. I mean, oh, just yeah. put it on your comm too. And uh, you can either, you know, the pilot flying can just stick to the regular radio and the pilot monitoring can be listening in. Or, you know, you just, you can both have it pulled up depending on, you know, the workload or, you know, how busy the radios are. But I don't, yeah. see, I do a different, so say that again, because I do it differently than that. So would you, would you say, say what you just said again? Like what typically what we're doing is, I mean, store it on COM2 and have the pilot who's monitoring, who's already running the radios, just kind of have it on in the background to see oh, okay. what's going on. That's not, yeah. I thought I heard you say pilot flying, listen to it. And yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. do that. No. Um, I mean, they, they could turn it on, but it's, yeah. it, I'd say it's more the responsibility of pilot monitoring to well, just have it it's on. It's beyond responsibility because think about it, the pilot flying, your duty is to be handling what's happening right now. And exactly. why let somebody on 122.8 or 22.7 step on what ATC is telling you to do right now? You know what Very I mean? Important. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. No, you, we're doing we're doing all the same thing. Yeah, but I would never, yeah. as a pilot flying, I would never listen to both of them and let them talk on, on each other. Do, do what's real time right now. And that's, right. I think, what is adding to the sensation of, you know, you're just throwing yourself into this situation. Not only the pilot monitoring is doing a good job, you know, relaying. Yeah, there's two guys in the pattern, one guy in the pattern doing touch and yeah. goes or whatever. But, you know, you can – they can be so busy on COM1 
that they have turned comp to off and deal, uh-huh. you know, do the same thing you're doing, deal with what's happening now. And then you're both just thrust in the situation where you got to figure out really quickly, you know, how you're going to, you know, assimilate into this, um, this, this airport traffic pattern with a bunch of other airplanes doing touch and goes on a nice day. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering if, from a, Oh yeah. But 100, 150 miles out, 150 miles out. You should, no problem. You got to think yeah. like if you're listening to high was on a VOR as 150 miles. So, mm-hmm. and you got to think an airplane in the traffic pattern is, you know, a taller antenna. So your line of sight, I mean, you might be able to talk to somebody in the pattern at thousand AGL. You might be able to get them 180, 200 miles yeah. away. Not that you'd want to do that because you're getting all the other airports in, in all directions. Exactly, yeah. You get a frequency like 122.8, which, I mean, one of the most common frequencies, I think, in the country. And, yeah, you're going to hear five, six different, like maybe, you know, a dozen different airports going off at once. And you're just going to be like, yeah, we're just not even going to listen to that because it's just everybody's blocking each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it could be pretty pretty awful to listen to sometimes you're just listening to more static mm-hmm. and block calls than anything else so you're just like oh, we're not turning that on until we get close because it's it's overwhelming right yeah 100%. and then in the business jet world when do they actually hand you off to where you no longer are talking to atc and both pilots can be fully focused on the unicom that depends. that's a lot of variables in that yeah. one when yeah, it's going to depend on whether you're in you know hard ifr or you're in and out of IFR, or if it's VFR. Well, if it's hard IFR, all your, all your, all that stuff that I said before goes out the window because everybody's <laughs> IFR. ATC, <laughs> that's true. It's classy. Yeah. ATC's in control of the flow. You know, who's that's t- almost better. Oh, <laughs> you for know? sure. Because you're like, yeah, they're like, you don't have to worry about it. be like, oh, there's no weekend warrior yahoos out here that are, you know, VFR only pilots. Like, I feel a little bit safer. But yeah. Yep. 100%. Versus a day where you know it, you got more than 10 miles of visibility winds right down one of the runways and everybody and their brothers out flying around. Yeah. And that, that's what's tough about Florida is there's so much intensity in training. There's so many, mm-hmm. the probability of a nice day is high. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's so much air traffic and these are the situations. Some of these little, you know, uncontrolled fields we're going into. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I, Ryan, I don't even know what I'd say. Like as, tar- as far as like a, um, a, a time frame, how many minutes before, or how many miles before. I mean, when you have the field in sight, I think, and you can, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's an arrow in your quiver. You can say, hey, you can wait till almost the last minute field in sight. And right. maybe that helps you, maybe that hurts you. But the sooner you can, you know, get changed to advisory frequency, the more you can both be listening, no longer depending on what ATC may tell you to do as far as descents and turns and stuff like that. So that, I would think I would probably lean more towards canceling early. Get yeah, both especially if it's a uh, game. Yeah, if it's an airport you're familiar with too. You I mean if you have one that you're maybe not as familiar with, you might want to stick with them a little bit longer, you know, and get yourself closer. But I don't yeah, know. I think somewhere... I'd almost go the other way though. Really? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, because I was thinking like if the sooner you can say, "Hey, I have the field in sight." I mean, it's it's another that, airport, and maybe I don't, but I have it on the FMS. I'm not going to get lost. So if I can right. say I have the FMS visual, if you will. So if I yeah. have the airport in sight or say that I do, and they say, okay, you know, Squawk 1200, frequency change approved, and you do all that or keep the code, frequency change approved, then you can both start listening and do it, deviate as you need to, stay mm-hmm. high, slow down, go wide, and then come back in at a 45 to kind of give yourself some spacing on the on somebody that you, that you heard. I think I would probably lean towards that and somewhere more f- 
the less familiar. I think. I don't know though. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if familiarity matters that much because, yeah, I, I don't think familiarity matters. I don't know. I, I'd have to like like real time like play two different scenarios and see. But I think canceling early or changing frequencies early so both heads get in the game, getting slowed early, like a realistic airplane speed, you know, not 200 or 250 knots, all those things. Right. I think but yeah, I, I guess I think about more like when I'm flying like single pilot IFR in a piston and mm-hmm. I break out and I'm going back into my local airport. Uh-huh. I'll tell them, yeah, way out, like, eh. I'm good to go. I, I can see the, you know, vicinity of the airport or I can cancel IFR this time because uh-huh. I, you know, uh-huh. I'll just start listening to, to see what's going on at that local airport. But you're able to merge with traffic so much easier. That too. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole different flying world, but yeah, I, I guess it just varies from situation to situation is yeah. the biggest take home on that. Yeah. Ton of very, ton of variables to answer your question. Yeah. I think Ryan and I are saying there's a lot of variables to just give one simple answer. Yeah. Gotcha. Go with what you're comfortable with. <laughs> there's there's no right or wrong, I would say, on, on something like that. This guy, that gives you and myself and the other piston pilots an idea of what's going on when that jet's screaming right. towards the airport. And we're just like, let's try to <laughs> yeah, get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> when Scott needs to make his yeah. exit. <laughs> well, there's probably different groups of people. Some people that are like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, courteous or whatever. You know, yeah. kind of like some... Um, what, what do you want to say? Etiquette and kind of mm-hmm. get out of the way. You know, I'm, I'm out here trying to build time or, you know, it doesn't cost me anything really to, to do a 360 or whatever. Right. And then there's other guys like, I don't care that he's in a jet. My Malibu is expensive for me to run. So I'm, I'm going to fly the pattern, you know, and, and, and land ahead of them. And all that's all good. And those are probably all both valid, you know, valid uh, stances. But I mean, right. That's why, you know, I'm not saying that just because we're in a jet that anybody needs to get out of our way. I'm more worried about, yeah, we have a different, you know, and again, we fly the pattern at 1500 AGL, not a thousand AGL. So that's a difference too. And that does give me some relief as far as, you know, knowing that unless somebody else is flying the wrong pattern or there's another jet or another, you know, turbojet powered airplane um, that, that we have some space vertically. Maybe not so much laterally, but then, you know, people are not making radio calls. Like I see that guy on TCAS, but he's not making a radio call. I mean, how many times have you seen that? Like I haven't heard this guy (laughs) say anything, but I see him on TCAS right there. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. Why is this hornet's nest all lit up, but nobody's talking? Yeah. (laughs) For sure. So, you know, flying a different pattern uh, altitude, yeah, helps. And that's, you know, that's the idea behind it. But Mm -hmm. Then you eventually have to transition that thousand feet AGL on your descent, you know, through your, you know, base and final turn, you're descending, you know, below through that thousand where all right. the other airplanes are flying. So you're going to descend on top of somebody or what's going on? Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of considerations that we all have to, but I don't think, I don't know anybody that I fly with uh, or anybody that I've ever flown. Cause even at the airlines, we were going to some uncontrolled fields. Um, yeah. And I just, I don't know that I've ever flown with anybody who is like, oh, what's that Bonanza doing? He needs to get out of our way. I've never heard anybody even remotely say anything like that. It's more like, man, we got to we gotta work with these people. We got to fit yeah. in here we somewhere. We need to slow way down yeah. or we need to, yeah, do a turnout here. Like, yeah. We're not asking anybody to get out of our way. I mean, obviously, it's, I don't want to say anybody get out of our way. 
But like if if somebody like holds short of the runway so that we can land, those things mm-hmm. are super appreciated. Um, and even though an aircraft in the air has a right of way over an aircraft on the ground too, I get right. that. But there's reasonable thresholds to that concept. But things like that are appreciated. Yeah, good airmanship etiquette goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's super appreciated on either end. I think. Yeah, I forgot that you guys are at fifteen hundred feet above ground level, and then obviously all the piston stuff at thousand feet. So that gives you five hundred foot of separation, but that gives you multiple layers. Then, right, like you got to transition like, that. Yeah, remember, uh, I got to remember now. Like when I'm at airports with jet traffic, you know, there might be guys above me. As yeah. well, I can be li- right. listening to if they're doing the pattern in a jet. So you had those two layers, and then you throw helicopters in. It's like, oh, geez. Oh yeah, and that's why it's important, you know, to be on your, um, you know, pattern altitude, and not be high, not be low. Just you know, fly that pattern altitude that you're, you know, assigned for that field. Because I'll tell my students all day long if they start getting high, I'm like, well, what if somebody's overflying the field? You know, they could run into us or what? You know, this or that. I, I haven't even really pointed out the whole, you know. You could run into a jet if you get 500 feet high. (laughs) Maybe that could be a good like, you know, hey, don't do that because you could get clobbered if if you're not paying attention and they're not paying attention. For sure. It's happened. So, yep. All right. Pre-flight assessment. What's going on here as far as like check ride stuff? This is probably the most observed. Other than your instructor initially teaching you, this is probably the most observed pre-flights you'll ever do is on check rides as far as like critiquing it, which Scott and I got pretty good because Don he taught us a good pre-flight which i've always did so i never had an issue on my check ride i need a beer real quick so do i better reload i don't have any so well so pre-flight assessment is that the is that the thing? Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I got I got feelings about it, right? I, I'm interested to hear everybody else's feelings, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, so we get to those things where we say, well, they should know how to do it by then. So I'm talking like actual pre-flighting of like the pre-flight of the airplane, like you, you know, doing your walk around, checking your fuel, the oil, you know, the control surfaces, all that. Um, the examiner that I send my guys to. He doesn't really even nope. pay that close attention. Don't even look just, out the he, window. He says, go out in pre-flight and I'll be right out with you in about, you know, what do you need? 10, 15 minutes? And they say, yep, sure. And he goes, I, I will, you know, respectfully agree. If you say this plane is airworthy to go, then I will assume that it is. So I don't, I mean, I obviously stress it, you know, early on in training because it's just a good habit. You know, you always want to be watching, <laughs> making sure your airplane is, is good for flight. But um, by the time you get to that check ride, you should know how to do it on your own, no problems. And the examiner really shouldn't have to sit there and watch every move you make. And I think that's kind of what our examiner, that's how he sees it. And I, I think that's fair. I, I can't say that for every examiner. Some of them might go out there and stare you down while you do every little thing, whether it's your own personal checklist or, you know, the aircraft checklist. But yeah, I think at that point, it it's not super crucial <clears throat> that somebody needs to to monitor you on that. They might come out and say, well, what kind of fuel do you got in there? How much oil do you have? And they might even ask you, you know, kind of a, a question about the aircraft. Like, well, what's what's the max amount of oil you can have or the minimum amount of oil or, you know, how much, how many gallons will this thing hold? So that's the way I look can, at it. It, gui- that's it would I help mean. guide the conversation. 
You know, like, sure. like when we go to our, you know, do our recurrent stuff, they use, you know, like um, a pre-flight like slideshow and they yeah. kind of just go like, and it just kind of guides, you know, them and it's more for them than us, but, you know, helps keep them like, hey, let's talk about the limitations on the, oh, here's a gear door. What's the, what's the gear, the landing gear extension speed again, things like that. And, right. and he, you know, the examiner you're talking about, Ryan, you know, he knows like he knows the limitations anyway, so he doesn't not he yeah. necessarily needs the help. But I think right. from a scenario based, I think it's nice having the slideshow in in um or not necessarily slideshow if it was a GA airplane, but yeah, it guides the conversation, and I think it can be a little bit more practically applied when you th- when you think about things. And our job as instructors, you know, can be made a little bit easier if on every. Uh, not that I've done every pre-flight inspection with a student myself, but if you periodically, you know, every once in a while, you're out there doing a really thorough one with them and you guide the conversation with asking limitations and what are you looking for? I saw you just move that aileron. What are you looking for? Right, and just keep yeah. keep it fresh in their mind and it might it may help you, you know, keep the conversation going and, and you know, being conservative, aerodynamic or aeronautical decision making. Yeah. Which can't be understated. So – yeah, I, th- I think, you know, on a check ride, I, I don't think it's, you know, necessary, but I think it can definitely help steer the conversation and make things more scenario based, which I think helps the student oftentimes. Yeah, I prefer scenario based all day long. I can't stand when an instructor is going to just sit there and ask me, what's the max, you know, this or the minimum this or, you know, it's just like, OK, say we're going along at, you know, this many knots. At what point do you would you say it's appropriate to bring the gear down, and, and, and why? You know. So. Well, so that's a, so. So hold on. So let me back up with that. So I, I like where you're going, but yeah, would that you one was s- kind of more no, saying I'm with w- you. What's the the, the max gear? <laughs> yeah, but they but, can get uh, really yeah. in depth with stuff. Like, okay, so this happens and this happens, and then right. so like, what do you think is wrong? How, what would you do? Things like that. So yeah, and I think it's the off difference of between the different maybe different types of personality. They're the people who like black and white, I want to be right, which I think, mm-hmm. unfortunately, is like what I am. And so, like, I like dry – ask me the question. I know the answer. It's 260. Right. It's 200 season house indicated airspeed. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. like that. But then when you get into scenario-based, it makes you think. So, there's not so much a – there's not always a one right answer. It's more, it's scenario based. So it's kind of like, what would you do? It could be one could, one answer could be more right than the other. And of course the, the examiner may be guiding you towards a given, uh, an answer. They want to hear something and they will guide the conversation, driving you towards that. And they, they'll narrow your focus down till they get the right answer out of you. But it makes yeah. you think all along the way, the critical thinking, the aer- aeronautical decision making, which is so huge, which I agree with. Just sometimes I get a little frustrated. Like, I don't know how much I take away from those because, like, I almost, I don't, this sounds super, and I am not like Chuck Yeager or anything. I'm like the crappiest <laughs> pilot out of the four of us. But I get bored God, when we get, so. when we talk through these things with an examiner. I get bored. It's like, dude, get to the point where you, like, you're, you want an answer. There's an answer that you want. Yeah, that's probably just like an antsy personality. It's just like I, I could see that. Yeah. Just just ask me the question you're trying to ask me. Don't give me this <laughs> but but I do enjoy the thought yeah. experiment. 
of the right. scenario based stuff. And it's because you, you teleport yourself to that situation that they're painting and you're trying mm-hmm. to put yourself in it. It really makes you think like, well, what I do, you know, would I divert to that airport? What yeah. limitations am I concerned about? You know, yeah. like how what, am I going to handle this emergency or this abnormality yeah. in the air? You know, yeah, and you know, I've you know, back at the airlines, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, I went to this interview at this place, and you know, I went to this interview at FedEx, and and I I ended up giving the guy the right answer, but when I gave him that answer, I I gave him that answer with too much confidence inflected in my voice, and his response to me, even though it was the right answer, which I didn't know, the guy didn't know it was the right answer at that time, but that mm-hmm. was the answer he gave. And the guy came back to say, you're going to do that with my airplane? And it like totally makes you second guess everything you just thought about. Like you follow <laughs> yeah. your thoughts through conclusion <laughs> and they're trying to see, are you going to stick with your plan? You've come to the first workable solution and that's what they were getting at. They were getting at that outcome and you were confident in it. You wanted to go with it. That was the resolution you spit out to them. And they came back and you're like, you're going to do that with my airplane? thinking you're going to lose the job and they yeah. want to see what's your resolve like and yeah. and that those that is indicative of the actual like jeopardy event that in, in like life threatening event you may experience in the airplane so i think even that going that way yeah you're losing your job or you're losing your your potential at that job but you know in the real world you could be jeopardizing your life so right. I I wouldn't say that's unrealistic of the real world. It's really making you critically think about all the elements involved in that uh, decision making process. And so I think the scenario base can be useful, but sometimes I get I get antsy, like you said, Ryan. Like let's get let's cut what to do the you chase. Know? What do you yeah, want to yeah. know? Yeah. No, I I, I agree with that. Um. Yeah, I like the scenario base, but also too. Yeah, I, I get to the point sometime where I'm like, I just want to give them the the one answer and move on because yeah, I get move on. And check yeah. rides and the the oral. So it's like, oh, but even yeah, I remember when I got my uh, type rating in the hawker, it was an observed uh, check ride. So the FA was there and they mm-hmm. were listening in on the instructor, and they, you know, at the end they critique the instructor and the um the basically the student or the applicant. And so his critique to us, you know, he, he even told the, um, the examiner, he goes, well, I'd like to see you do kind of more scenario based. And, uh, and then, you know, for me too, like, (laughs) this is the importance of knowing your aircraft. Um, you know, I had never even seen the outside of the Hawker when I took my check ride. So I did not originally get those slides. So I wasn't really taught a whole lot of the out exterior stuff of the airplane. So in the, in the check ride, I almost failed the oral within like the first 15 minutes because I was just like, I don't know what that is. Or, and there was like trying to point out specific things and he had to ask me. I mean, it was an observed check ride. Luckily, just barely got through it uh, with a little bit of knowledge of it. But know that airplane, uh, whether the school teaches you or not, I, you know, it was my own fault just as much as it could have been theirs. I, I should have known more. So um, the components on the exterior of that airplane. And, you know, even the examiner said, you know, I understand you haven't, you know, even really seen this airplane yet. And I know that you work for a company that is going to put you through a good amount of IOE and show you the way, but it, it, it's good to uh, know the the airplane. And I, I've learned from that mistake and I'll teach that all day long. So yeah, for your pre-flight, just know what you're dealing with. <laughs> and that's that's a, the great point, a, a great point that you made there among many is mm-hmm. as the student, just because you are the student, you're not, I would not say, I mean, obviously a lot of it rests on the, the weight, the shoulders of the instructor, right. but 
you're not completely immune to being responsible for some of the things you need to learn. Like, right. you know, especially, you know, the demographic of individuals learning to fly, like you're going to, you're, you're, you're a young college student. You're going to go into an aviation career. It's better to start gaining that perspective. Like I need to like be hungry. I need to be like laser focused on learning this airplane. Even when my instructor, you know, my instructor says this is good enough. I need to go 20%, 30% beyond that 50, whatever it is, yeah. you know, engross yourself in it. Yeah. Right. Because like I always told students, there's going to be a time on this check ride that you're going to let me down. There's going to be a time on this check ride that I'm going to let you down. I didn't teach you something or I didn't okay. teach you something correctly, or I omitted yeah. something in your training. And there's something that I know I'm going to taught you like to the point of nauseam and you will just space out on it. That is a fact mm-hmm. of life. And yeah. so it's just kind of like, you're not to blame. I'm not to blame. We're, we're a partnership. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in this together and we need to do our best and we will, and we need to move on. But I think that's, that's huge. Like you just said, it's like, I'm not saying you fessed up or you screwed up. I'm just saying we've all done it. I mean, I've yeah, had yeah, no, we're very ugly check rides um, <laughs> that I'm not proud of. And yeah. it's, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, if I would have studied a little bit harder, this probably could have been a little bit better. If I would have chair yes. flown this one more time, this could have been a little bit smoother. You got to hold some self accountability for sure. Yep. Um, you, your your instructor can't hold your hand through the whole thing. They're going to try to, and some of them will. Yeah. Some of them might not. You know, they might be kind of like tough love and be like, you know, "Do your thing," and I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. I, I try to find that happy medium and hold their hand a little bit, but also let them figure stuff out on their own. And mm-hmm. you know. And that's another thing. I'll always cross-check my students um, with another instructor, but right before I solo them and then right before they go to take their exam. Um, same with the other instructors that I work with. They'll do the same with me. They'll, they'll send me their student right before they're going to solo and right before they're going to take their check ride. I know I do a mock check ride. I try to come up with every scenario that I think our examiner is going to present them with. And, and, you know, just get them in that environment of flying with somebody different. I mean, because... You can get in, you know, some instructors are really intense. Some are really timid. Some, you know, there, there's, we all have so many different personalities. So it's good to fly with, you know, as many personalities as you can. And it's just going to make you, I think, a, a better pilot in the long run. Even though you don't want to deal with some of those personalities, trust me. I mean, I've had plenty of instructors over the years that I'm just like, get me the hell out of this airplane. I am I feel unsafe or I, <laughs> I feel like I'm not learning. <laughs> like, Yeah. But I, but I feel like there's something even the crappiest instructor can teach. Oh, yeah. You're always going to take something. something home no matter what. Yeah. They might teach you, hey, this is how I'm not going to teach. I've had some of those. It like, could be that. But I think there's, me, legitimately, like, there's yes, knowledge there's, you could legitimately learn from even the worst instructor. Oh, for sure. Somebody always carries something, you know, some of these facts and bits of knowledge that you're, you don't ever hear from anybody else through the rest of your career. And you're like, oh, but I always remembered like so-and-so. I didn't really care for them as an instructor, but. Heck, if I didn't forget that, like. Right. And well, and just because they're a crappy instructor doesn't mean they're a crappy pilot and vice mm-hmm. versa. They could be a great instructor, but a crappy pilot. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's. Yeah, that, that the definitely goes both ways. Yeah. There's plenty of pilots out there that I guarantee could be terrible instructors. And there's some phenomenal instructors out there that maybe not the best pilot. So. Yeah. I would say I lean better pilot than instructor. I get. I don't have any, I don't have any patience. That's, you got to have the patience. Not that I'm a good, not that I'm a good pilot, but I'm just. (laughs) If you had to pick between the two, what you'd be better at. Probably would bet on my pilot skills before my instructing skills. Um, You guys kind of demonstrated what 
my question or my statement was going to be was the pre-flight assessment is more than just the pre-flight. It's the entire assessment of like the flight going forward. Correct. Um, not just that walk around, you know, checking the airplane for, you know, airworthiness type stuff. It's like, you know, weather. it's all encompassing. Yeah. Um, One so thing like, I would uh, say, sorry to interject just before I forget it is a fleeting thought when you're doing, when you're talking about a pre-flight inspection or a pre-flight assessment. And I, I guess I'm, I'm isolating more of the pre-flight inspection. So the actual, you know, walking mm-hmm. around of the aircraft, moving control surfaces, checking oil, fuel, all that good stuff. Um, hydraulic leaks, all, all the normal stuff. Dress for the weather. Because I've had students in the middle of January, February up here in the north, and they're wearing shorts. And it's like, how can you do a thorough pre-flight when you're cold? Mm-hmm. You know, how or how thorough a pre-flight are you doing when you've got to be freezing? It just doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe they're fine, maybe they're not. But the, the perception I would have, or any casual observer is that right. they have to rush a little bit you know yeah, that, it, even it a little bit their, is too much it's just their preparations not cr- all there either i mean you got to think of the event of okay you know like you said it's the dead of winter and you go out to pre-flight but also what are you going to do in the event of the crash you know if you are a ditching you put this plane down and you're fortunate enough to survive the ditching and then you're stuck out in the middle of this field in your shorts and your, you know, your long sleeve shirt and that's it. You're going to, you know, die of exposure after you just survived. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I I remember having, I think one of our, one of our lead instructors at the flight school I went to, you know, she's just like, have a hat and gloves with you. You know, you never know what's going to happen out there. And that's just, it's good preparation, you know, so for your pre-flight stuff. Prepare for, you know, the worst. Yeah. Everybody learning to fly in Alaska knows that. Like that is like. You're just right. built in probably the same thing in their car they pro- they probably don't treat flying an airplane much different than driving their car seriously yeah you know and probably half of them don't even have cars they got a snowmobile and an airplane that's it you know what i mean <laughs> i don't know but i'm just saying they probably treat it similar anyways and us down the lower 48 we take a lot of these for granted how you know we're not remote you know there's there's plenty of population density that you know you can steer towards that barn or you know this highway or whatever and you're not going to exposure is not a huge critical factor but i would agree right. with you 100 percent. dress as though you got to survive in the wild or at least have those things readily accessible to you in you know if you have to ditch the airplane or whatever right 100 percent. but yeah it, from the pre-flight assessment I, I just make sure you don't you don't have any reasons to be rushing the pre-flight when you could uncover something a crack. I mean, they're very very minute things. I don't, I'm not saying get out your microscope per se, but <laughs> you know, definitely take your time. You know, and knowing the airplane is is helpful. Be out there pulling inspection panels underneath the wing. Well, <laughs> get, get the mirror out. Get your, yeah, get your mirror <laughs> and your flashlight, buddy. I don't know if yeah I don't know if we have any I brought my AMP along for this today. He's gonna do a thorough. Check. If you're in a flying, if you're renting an airplane, I mean, what do you? I mean, that mm-hmm. honestly, at this point, that shit almost scare, that scares me. Like I've oh, rented I, some. I've rented. We've all probably rented some sketchy airplanes throughout the years. I was, was like, oh, would uh, I put my family in this? Probably not. Two episodes ago, which has not been released yet, so you guys obviously didn't. That Jack Cochran and I recorded with Scott. Mm-hmm. I, I, we brought that up. I'm freaked out about running airplanes. That's just yeah. You know, like I look through back the backlog. I'm like, okay, who's been flying this before? Is there anything I can glean from looking at you know that 
that log of you know what has happened to this thing since an since an um mechanic has looked at it yeah right scares me oh for sure especially from coming especially from coming i used to own my own plane that's how i originally learned how to fly and you know most of my time was in my own plane that's a lot different than wait this piece of crap 172 that's been you know beaten around the pattern you know how many times by how many people it's it's yeah god only knows how people treated i mean i think of <laughs> Some rental cars I've had. <laughs> like yeah. one of my models is uh, nothing parties like a rental. <laughs> Scott but, loves rental cars. Uh, I hate rental cars. <laughs> That's I right. rented a car once and it was awful. <laughs> pile of crap. I dodge cars. renting cars. I I'd rather use Uber any day of the week yeah. than renting a car. I I That's will do my best to never rent a car again. But that's another story. All right. Yes. Uh, does that wrap up the the pre-flight assessment for yeah. enough? I mean, I hope that does it justice. Multiple I, episodes just on that, yeah. but yeah, I would. Yeah, I think that would. Other than that, I mean, have everything else prepared and ready. I mean, it's just preparation. It's key. Yep. Next one is engine starting. What do you? What is an examiner looking at for this? And you know, what are some maybe if someone's already gone through their check ride and they're just out there <laughs> flying. You know, maybe like a refresher, maybe some stuff they don't do anymore that they might should do. Yeah. I just say know how to start your engine. I mean, know how to start (laughs) it when it's cold and know how to start it when it's warm. You know, know the difference. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Yeah. I would say there's not really much more you can go into on that. But if it's fuel injected and it's hot, it's going to be different than it's carbureted and it's hot. Yeah. Right. And versus cold. I mean, yeah, no, don't look like a a fool in front of your. Your checker, I mean, I know ours, he'll, he'll sometimes just start it for you because he, he gets impatient and just wants to get things moving. <laughs> and he'll be like, let me let me show you how to really start this. You know, these guys might be showing you this way, but let me show you this. If it's hot <laughs> in the summer, to... just get the air yeah. moving, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He, they're they're going to be ready to, to rock and roll. So just be, yeah, know how to start your airplane. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah you can't, I mean, for all these, everything on a check ride is knowing the airplane. Like somebody who like learns in the airplane, like you two both, Rob and Scott, you guys both own your airplanes. You took your right. check riding your airplanes. Well, I mean, you took Scott, you took yours. Rob, you took some of yours in it. So it's like there's almost there's very little replacement for that in innate knowledge that in, you know of that particular airplane, and that's that's hard to beat. So right. when you and it, you know it's car rate, it's just not that big of a deal, anyways. But if it's a fuel injector, a one eighty two or a, a two hundred six or something, you know, even a one seventy two that's fuel injected. And those can be troublesome, you know, if you yeah. don't, if you don't know, you know, your airplane, knowing it would help a lot. I would try, we'll move on from this unless Lee's got something to jump in after I say this. I would say try to do your check ride prep, like the last few hours of flight training before your check ride that's for the check ride in not only the same make and model, like the same serial number, the same tail number airplane. Yeah. So if there's any little nuances with that particular tail number, you you figure those out if you know you've had a little bit of experience. So it's not like random stuff popping up on the the check ride. Right. Couldn't agree. You more. already know what to expect, yeah. Taxiing. What uh what can we glean from taxiing? Mr. Boris, you had some taxiing insight on a <laughs> few episodes ago, didn't you? Taxiing? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I thought you said something about that. Yeah, I don't know. Stay away from big jets. Don't taxi behind them. You know, I 
taxi probably faster than you're supposed to, but don't taxi too fast, obviously. Don't taxi too slow either, because that's annoying. You know, that's basically. <laughs> Find that happy yeah, medium. That's basically yeah. all there is to it. Don't taxi where you're not supposed to. Isn't the rule like taxi only as fast as you can walk? Isn't that kind of like what they say? Or yeah, I I kind of say like taxi as fast as you can right. run. Yeah, that walking, walking that's like, just slow. Are you walking all the way out right, to that walking runway? Is like no, four miles I'll go a step further. Too. Nobody's gonna do that. Go taxi as fast as an Olympic <laughs> runner can run. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I would say. That's fine. Taxi as fast. Yeah. as fastest human. Uh, yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's safe. Yeah, yeah, that's that it's so and I understand like if you're learning obviously going slower that gets you acclimated, but you know, yeah, for that, the big picture for your flying career, I mean be reasonable about stuff. We need to get to the damn runway at some point. Right. Yeah. Yeah, walking. Slow down as you approach turns. I, that's a big walking thing. I mean, you don't want to carry that that same speed that you're carrying for that you know, that half mile straight taxiway you just did through the turn as well. That's hard on the struts. So slow down for that, you know, slow down. Hard on the struts. Explain that to me. As you're turning, that can be, you know, that like pressure on the struts. You, you don't, what do you, you don't want that. What, what pressure go, on the struts? What are you talking about? Like the, like, let's say you're turning. Like lateral right. pressure? As like, I said, they're designed to be landed on. Well, obviously, so yeah. Them. I'm not really meant to go. No, side I mean, side. I'm far as far as just taxiing, like at a at a high speed taxi rate. That, that's that's not what they're really designed for. They're land. They're designed for landing on them, but not necessarily. And I'm sure there's give, but I, I just think it's a little bit much to to put external pressure on there. You know, as you're taxiing. So you mean like le- you like side to side lateral loading, like yeah, side, like side loading? loading. Yeah, which is why I'm. Teaching people to straighten the airplane out the same way. I don't want to sideload the the strut when you know on our landings. I was looking up the fastest human. I missed this <laughs> be like a, a big debate going on right now that I zoned back in for. How, how fast is the fastest human? Twenty three point three five miles per hour. Wow, I was going to say twenty seven. That's pretty good because I I, tip, I tell people just. Try not to go faster than 20 knots of ground speed when you're taxiing. So that would be pretty that's much it. That's it. Dead, that's dead nuts on. So, yeah, just 20 taxi. Knots 23 miles an hour. <laughs> so you are allowed to taxi on. as fast as the fastest person can run. Yep. Jamaican sprinter. <laughs> but if you're just learning, bolt. slow down. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm trying to think sprint. if we're side loading in a turn. <laughs> It's just something I picked up over the years. So, you know, somebody taught me and I was like, it kind of makes sense to me. So I'll just stick with it. So, I mean, it might not make sense to everybody. But. It's almost bedtime. Though, so like how much longer do we? No. But to take a turn slow is not a bad idea either. Think about runway, con- you know, well, taxiway yeah, conditions I too. 100%. I got a yeah. CRJ 900 sideways. <laughs> Tokyo drifted. <laughs> Basically in Detroit one day. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God! It yeah, oh, know your conditions. Basically, yeah, the scariest because. day of my life. It was nuts. Just taking a high speed, which are designed to be yep. taken at sixty what knots. Was it, was it just the ass end? Just totally came out. Was there snow? Oh yeah. Okay. I was gonna yeah, say there had to be snow covered. The runway was clear, but the taxiway had some ice on it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I did. It was no, totally normal rollout. Took the high speed. And I can't remember if you could see the visible, like I like if it was like black ice or whatever. But yeah, yeah it was totally definitely grabbed a hold of you. Oh man, it was like <laughs> I don't know, tw- 15, 20 degrees of deflection probably. Hmm. 
versus where you know where the where the nose is pointed versus where the airplane was going. It's crazy. I, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna have to think about. I mean, I'm not an advocate of take the turns at 20 knots. I'm just saying. I wonder how hard it is on the airplane at 20 knots. And well, tw- yeah, 20 knots is fast. I'm but, sure it depends on the airplane too. Yeah, well, that's another thing for yeah, sure. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, if you're in a tail dragger, whip that tail around. Who cares? Keep going. <laughs> yeah, if you're in a, like a <laughs> just a don't ground loop it, <laughs> or like even like a Cirrus, a fixed gear, something like that, versus like a King Air, where it's got that stubby little, you know, retractable gear. You side, I could see you maybe side loading something like that, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if it'd make a difference though. Just take your turns at a slower pace than yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyways, I think that's I, that's probably what was being taught to me, and it, you know, you just tried to you know, come up with another reason to just stick into my head and it worked. I still think about it. Scott, you <laughs> sideload him. the 150? Yeah. When you oh, turn? I get it up on two wheels. Yeah. <laughs> turn into it with the ailerons a little yeah. bit. <laughs> I would have to think though, I mean, before you sideload that gear, I would imagine you're going to hear tires squealing or you're going to yeah. be on two wheels before you're sideloading that gear. Like, I, I'm I mean, just I'm, thinking about it. look thing. I mean, how momentum and in, in inertia and stuff works, or um, centrifugal force. Yeah. Eh. I mean, I'm with you. No, your point's 100 percent valid. I I've just, definitely been in a 150 where somebody was taxiing too fast off the runway, and you, you start hearing them. <laughs> the tires like, whoa, whoa, slow down there, slick. Like, yeah, we're going a little fast for this. I've slid it in the grass before, just like turning. I hit the yeah. brake, and the whole thing just kind of slides a little bit. <laughs> yeah that i mean that's not a consideration if it was if yeah. i was like doing instructing with a student i would you know i'd be saying slow down slow down but like yeah. i just to just for me just be reasonable about, about stuff this isn't a race car don't apex every taxi turn <laughs> right, you know yeah. and, and try and you know i mean you can use that concept to to help you know some uh-huh. of the centrifugal force this you know stuff but you know, just for passenger comfort because if you're right. sliding oh, around a seat, too. so are your passengers, yeah. and there's no reason exactly. to give them a rough ride. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, I don't, and so yeah, center line, seconds. speed, and conditions. You know, so, that, uh, so pretty much wrap this all up. Last but not least, <laughs> of Lee Griffin's exhales on his track during episode one is before takeoff checklist. It's the last one we got before we can move on and start uh, the rest of our entire season on this. <laughs> multi-part series with ryan eckel so uh before takeoff checklist i do this very religiously after this i sometimes depending on the plane don't get big into checklists but uh no matter how simple the plane is i still do every every checklist up until takeoff yeah yeah i still do i that. think that's fair and conservative yeah a lot of things, you know, depending on the airplane, you know, there's a, it's a cleanup checklist. Make sure the thing's ready to fly. You know, a lot of, you know, check this. You've already gotten it where it needs to be, positioned the appropriate, you know, control or whatever, manipulated it correctly. Now you're just verifying, should be at this point, verifying a lot of things are done. Yeah. Yep. This is, I mean, including this is like run-ups. This is checking to make sure your control surfaces are all, is typically on this before takeoff checklist. And, and and I'm an advocate, you know, like the checklist I have in the airplane I fly, you know, we're checking controls like on the ramp, which I think right. is about the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, you want to find it out earlier, but yeah. you're doing the control surface check like externally when you do the walk around. So I'm not concerned Correct. about that. 
I rather do it closer. I mean, yeah, you want to find out if something was wrong, but the likelihood of that is way low. But if you put it out towards the takeoff, that Mm -hmm. blends perfectly with, you know, any of your pre-contamination check stuff when you're talking about icing conditions. So that is a much more, in my mind, appropriate time to be doing a takeoff check or a a flight control check than when when it's in the hangar or when you just pulled out of the hangar. That's not representative of when you're going to actually fly it. You know, if it's yeah, make sure actively snowing, flying. you need to yeah. check it when you're about to go take off. What you did 45 minutes ago doesn't mean anything now. Right. A lot can change in that little amount of time. Oh, a ton. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is fairly straightforward. You've, you've done these checklists. Just make sure you do them always. Yeah. I mean, I use a quick acronym in my head and one of the instructors at the school I'm at right now, he backed it up today. He said the same thing. I've only heard it from one other instructor before. He uses cigars. It's a uh, control and he just does it while he's taxiing or, you know, just before takeoff. And it works almost in any airplane, uh, you know, to an extent. So cigars, uh, it was controls. So you're checking your controls, whether it's your ailerons, your elevator, uh, your rudders. Uh, I is he calls it icing and instruments. So, you know, if you're in icing, you're getting ready to take off in icing conditions, how you're going to prepare yourself for that. And instruments, make sure everything is reading correctly. Uh, G was gas. So make sure, you know, when you're in a small plane, you're, if you're in a piper, you're drawn from the correct tank that you want. Um, and your fuel pump is on all that stuff. Uh, and that's going to be, you know, right before takeoff and on pipers and everything that's typically going to be placarded too. Uh, so CIGA was the attitude of which the airplane you want it to be. So your trim setting, make sure that's where it needs to be, whether it's neutral or if you have a, a preset setting that it needs to be, or if you need flaps for takeoff. Um, and then R was radios. Make sure you're tuned into everything that you need to be tuned into. And S was safety belts and switches. So seat belts on and, uh, the, the appropriate switches need to be on. So, and that, I, like I said, I kind of use that in any airplane I fly, whether it's, you know, the most basic one, you know, Cessna 150 all the way up to the Hawker, which I mean, in the Hawker, we follow a, a company checklist, but. I I love that. I just I'm a, such a bad speller. I'd never remember how to spell <laughs> cigars correctly, so it wouldn't really be useful for me. <laughs> so learn how to spell cigars first, and then yes. you sh- you're good to go from there. <laughs> I'll work on that first, and maybe once I learn how to spell it, I'll implement that. <laughs> All right, that wraps it up. Um, I have no idea which reviews I've lost track of which reviews we've read and which review five star reviews we haven't read yet. So I'm just going to skip that until I figure it out. Maybe start that next episode. Uh, Mr. Eckel is Instagram. He's a he's on the gram. You you can DM slide. I remember this from the last time. Slide into those DMs, as the kids say. Uh, at Eckel R E C K E L E C K E L R on Instagram. Uh, hit Ryan up. The rest slide of us on, slide on in. Slide on in. <laughs> the rest of us are uh, email. We have uh, old school email under a snow-capped Swiss mountain. Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com. G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. Mr. Boris, who would love, absolutely love to hear your private pilot check ride prep questions. Just I'd, send them away I'd, to, I would, to Mr. Boris I know here. all the answers. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, F-A-R-A-I-M at scottboris.com, B-O-R-E-S. And uh, do you have any show ideas, uh, topic stuff? I'm the guy to email. Uh, F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. Uh, burger spelled the German way, not the sandwich way. B-E-R-G-E-R. And uh, yeah, that wraps it up. Thank you, Mr. Echo, for being on. Thank you, Lee, for making an exception tonight of uh, the very inconvenient day of the week we have recorded this <laughs> so that I can drink mimosas with my family tomorrow night. You're very welcome, uh, sir. <laughs> Who drinks right. mimosas right. at night? That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> no, I was, that's I was thinking Florida drink. drink. A morning drink. No. Yeah. 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 It won't be mimosas. That's like a joke at work and we're... Yeah. Anyway, to each their uh, own. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, haven't I had would a, drink a mimosa. A mimosa. Night, I haven't had them in a long just, time. That's not typically when you drink it. No, it's. Uh, I'm gonna have own. to try it. <laughs> you ever had yeah, a mimosa right. yet? Yeah, don't knock it till you try not, it. I guess not at night. Not at night. I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't think I've ever had oh. one past noon. <laughs> right. I'll drink mimosas at any time of day if you offer me one. All right. Um, yep. Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, take care. Thanks, guys. Later. Yep, thanks for having me again. Yep. Later. Everyone talking their track. Yo. Say something. I did. Yeah. That was some good something, Scott. All right, later. See you, Scott. That's okay. Rocking and rolling. (laughs) This hotel sucks. Where are you at? I'm in Morristown, New Jersey. Okay. Did you have class today? I sure did. Yeah, how'd it go? Eh, Not too bad, actually. We had a a really good instructor and he let us out early so I'll take it sweet I forgot you're in class all right turn my air conditioning off mine's running there's nothing I can really do about it because your heater more air conditioning you got the air conditioner running now oh yeah it's like 80 something out yeah it's pretty warm today Ryan you you familiar with what we're doing now Oh, we're on, what, part three? Part three, yeah. Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. 61.107. Should still be up from the other day. I don't think I've looked at it for anything else. (laughs) That's the spirit. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, I was looking at the aim. Hold on. 61.107, right? Uh, Yeah. And then uh, Lee and I got the table of contents going because it breaks it down further. But we basically have... um, Five or six bullet points here we're going to run through. Sounds uh, good. Yep. So we got like and signals, traffic patterns, pre-flight assessment, engine starting, taxiing before takeoff checklist. Perfect. That's the aspect of it. See, I don't see all that. This is, this Are is you looking epi- at the ACS again. Yeah. This is from, epi- this is a table of contents I'm in. Page VII. And then. It's yeah, like- seven. That's what I'm on too. I see under three airport and seaplane base operations. 
Then I see A, communication, like a signal's runway light systems. That's on page 18. Then B, traffic patterns. That's on page 19. Yeah, what are you missing? I don't know. It seems like you're saying a whole bunch of bullshit that I'm not saying. <laughs> Say yours again. Like on, like on signals. Runway lighting systems. Uh, traffic. No, no runway lighting system. We covered that. We that's we beat that dead. Uh, we did. Patterns. I don't remember runway lighting systems. Interesting. We we you covered you a want. bottle of wine there, Lee. No. What is that? It's a Sam Adams Summer Ale. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, when you when I saw it flash up there, it looked like a like a bottle of wine. Like I was swigging straight off a wine bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> a rough to that. Your voice. Come to that, Lee. Okay, well, whatever. I, I wanted to be able to, to help. Oh, that sucks, Scott. I wanted to be able to help segue or at least know where you were going to go next with something, but I don't know. I don't know what we're looking at different. I'm on that page in the ACS Private Pilot ACS. I'm on. I'm on the back of my paycheck. What do you mean? Envelope. This list I made when I edited episode one. Okay. That's what I'm going off of. All right. So, yeah, all right. Whatever then. Just to make sure we cover everything from episode one. Okay. Let's do it. Right. Whatever. On that happy note. Welcome to this week's episode of <laughs> School yeah, Night. School Night. Get to bed and get up early. What about just one, Scott? I Come on. I don't have any. I would have one, but I, I'm out. <laughs> oh, Completely that's, out. That's too Fancy. bad. How do you let it's that happen, bummer. Scott? I don't know. I, just, I don't drink during the week, so like if I'm out, I don't bother to go get any. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, it's like the first thing on my grocery list. Yeah, see, I mean, I don't do the grocery shopping. Yeah, mine too. I literally go to Publix. Half the time I go to Publix is just to get more yeah, beer. Yeah, I mean, right. if it's Friday and I'm out of beer and it's after work, that's the first thing I'm doing is driving to the gas station to get beer. But Right, but, as so you I, should. If it's a weekday and I'm out of beer, like I don't really give a shit because I don't drink it all during the week anyway. Right. So. I drink every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have one or two usually. I save all, I save all of my beers for one night. It's either Friday or Saturday, and then I just pound them. I pound you could in, die, you could die tomorrow, man, with a full fridge. I pound, I pound an entire week's worth of beer. <laughs> that's a risk I'm not willing to take. Yeah, right, that's right. <laughs> I, I pound an entire week's yes. worth of beer in one night. That's just what I do. <laughs> it's all, all on the strategy. Yeah. Um, Save that shit up. It's like saving <clears throat> for retirement. It's like, I don't want to use this now because I'm going to need it later. Yeah, but what if you you retire and you die the next day? Well, yeah, true. you got to find a balance. Yeah, balance, Scott. Life is all about balance. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, sometimes I balance yeah. it out because I usually like to get like a mild buzz on Friday and then like Saturday, then I can <laughs> really let yeah. loose, let your hair yeah, down. And then, I, and then I got Sunday where I usually won't drink at all, but sometimes I'll have a few just to take the edge off a little bit. That's my week. <laughs> was it episode one of this series that you were gone? No, I was not here for that episode. No, it was whatever. You guys covered it, something else. Whatever episode we did. I must, oh, you took a nap? Yeah. yeah. 
Oh yeah, that was just Scott <laughs> yeah. Eckel and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. And I, I forget I what we covered. To but yeah. to that I actually had one of the Instagram, uh, one of the Instagram <laughs> followers reached out and asked if if he had woken up yet. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was a quite quite an entertaining episode. <laughs> Oh, awesome. I'm not. So if you are listening, he is I, awake. I'm, I'm <laughs> He's not back. going to listen to that episode because I don't remember it, and it had to be so bad. <laughs> Scott, you really should. It's so funny. Oh, it, it's it pretty had good. To it be was. Bad. Yeah. I don't really know what it was, but it had to be not good. <laughs> you were hilarious for no. some part. The stuff I could leave in was pretty yeah. funny. There's a lot I had to take out. I'm, a lot of editing, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the, it I had uh, to take out. Uh, the sound effects were great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pre-flight. Yep. <laughs> Back to it. Yeah, I mean, so I think... Go ahead. <clears throat> I was going to say, beer break is over. Uh, I can add in that little... Oh, sound. there you go. There you go. <laughs> that I saved for you. I need, I need then, to hear uh, it. I need to hear that one day. To listen to one of the shows. Well, maybe it was on maybe. the last episode. It was. It sounded pretty crisp. Yeah, that's good. I'm I like glad. It. I'm glad I can add something, um, <laughs> even when you weren't there. Yeah. So, 